All right, amen. So we're, we were in this series, um, Growing in Sonship. <clears throat> and if you're a guest or haven't um, been with us for the past few weeks, I just encourage you to go to our website, listen to our messages on that series. Um, but whether you've heard them all or not, I know today's message is still going to have a, a good effect on us and our lives if we choose to apply it. Apply, application. You know, we've, we used to say, you know, um, repetition brings revelation and revelation brings transformation, but that's not actually true. Revelation, once it becomes application, then becomes transformation. And a lot of times in the body of Christ and Christianity and charismania, the thing that we're a part of, we get excited about new stuff, and then we don't do anything with it. We don't take it and make it profitable. We're just excited that, well, that was a great message. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, whoever. But that's it. We just are grateful. It was very entertaining. I felt better. I felt awesome. I felt God. But it's application of what we're talking about that brings transformation. And so if you choose to apply what I'm talking about, it's going to change your life. And so again, today's message is growing in sonship, and today we're going to be talking about the older brother syndrome. Um, and I need to change something in my notes because something I was planning on happening is not going to happen. So let me think here. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I shared on the prodigal son. Everybody remember that? And we changed it. We changed the title of that from the prodigal son to the prodigal father because we were learning about how extravagant the father in that story was with his love and that the story is really about him more than it was a rebellious son. It's really about the father and, and his extravagant just lavish love that he has for us that's unconditional. Well, today I want to talk about one other guy in the story, and that's the older brother. And as I focus on the older brother, um, I, I'm going to remind you um, a couple of resources that I'm using to help, uh, help me preach this message are back by Jack Frost. One is Experiencing the Father's Embrace, which I've heard that a lot of you are picking up and reading and it's a uh, blessing you, and I, I'm so happy for that. And the other one is Spiritual Slavery to Sonship, also by Jack Frost. But um, today I want to I pick up in the story with the older son. I'm not going to read what we already read a couple weeks ago, but we are going to read about the older son, starting in Luke 15, verse 25. <clears throat> and it says, Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, again, the son's already the young son came home. Dad threw the robe, the rings, the sandals, and now they're having a party. And so the older son, he's walking in from the field. He heard music. He saw dancing. And he called one of the servants, and he asked what these things meant. And uh, he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. But his father came out, and he entreated him. He said, but he answered his father, look, 
These many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who, uh, who uh, has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be, gra- be glad, for this brother was dead, and he is alive. He was lost, and he's now found. Now, again, as a quick reminder from my message last week, I mentioned how there weren't even just two sons in this story. There were three. We've got the rebellious son, which was the prodigal. We've got the older brother. And then we have the son who's telling this story, which is Jesus. And remember, I said each of them were a slave to something. The younger son was a slave to what? It's a simple word. Thank you, Pastor and Mike. Sin. The younger son was a slave to sin. We know Jesus is a slave to what? Love. Everybody say it. Love. (laughs) Love. Jesus is a slave to love. And now we've got this older brother, and I mentioned, what was he a slave to? The rules, the Bible word for the rules, the law. And so, we are either a carrier of the Father's love, we are either a slave to the Father's love, or we will start gravitating to either being a slave to sin, Or a slave to the law. Those are the three options in Christianity. You are either going to be a slave to love. Like our brother and savior Jesus Christ. Or you're going to be a slave to sin. Like the prodigal rebellious son. Or you will be a slave to the law. That's it. Those are three options of how we will live life in this kingdom. And the younger son, the prodigal, the older son, which was the good son, and I'll refer to him in quotes as the good son, they both had the same problem. They both had a gimme, gimme attitude. Who remembers when I talked about that two weeks ago? They both had a gimme, gimme attitude, but it just manifested in very different ways. See, the good son was good for all the wrong reasons because the good things he did were not out of a heart of love. Rather, it was out of a place of trying to get his needs met. Now, another interesting observation is the good son doesn't claim to have relationship with anyone that doesn't look like him, act like him, talk like him. Anybody know any religious folk like that? Anyone in here like that? I mean, think about it. 
Here comes his worthless young brother, irresponsible, prodigal. He's coming down the road, and he wants nothing to do with him. Wants nothing to do with him. Won't even come in in the house and party with him. (coughs) Now, as I share this message, I need to be vulnerable for a moment. This message and story is pretty difficult for me as a personal. Um, When I look at this story and I start to identify with the characters in this story, I have to admit that I struggle with the older brother syndrome. This is something I have dealt with for many, many years, um, probably most of my Christian life. And I've done a ton of emotional healing on this issue. I mean, just this one area alone, I've sozoed, I've RTF'd. I mean, I've gone and done counseling with pastors and other churches on this very issue of living like an older brother. So when I read and I study and I preach this story, my struggle is this older brother syndrome and most of you who are close to me would probably say yes and amen so as I share today it's mostly from experience and I know I'm not the only one in here there are a lot of others too who like the good son try to get their value and their worth from slaving away trying to work really hard in the Father's fields. All the while, we think we're living in the Father's house, but we're actually not. And even though, like myself, we may be loyal, we may be hardworking, we may be very dutiful Christian workers, but when we look at our heart, It reveals that we don't walk in the nature of the Father's love. Things like love and compassion and forgiveness. Instead, we have things like jealousy and competition, anger, pride, spiritual ambition, self-righteousness. They're always just lurking just below the surface. And as it was said earlier, you know, when we lack an experiential revelation of the Father's love, when we lack that, those things start to manifest in our life. We start working hard for stuff. Somehow we've got to earn God's love. It becomes very easy to take on this attitude of the older brother the good son. But you know, sometimes our sins against love, when we misrepresent the Father's heart, sometimes those sins are greater sins than the blatant sins of the rebellious kid. Did you hear what I said? The sin of misrepresenting the Father's heart. 
can be worse than the blatant stuff of the younger son. And it is a sin to misrepresent the father's love. And, and we've got this older brother, and he was more concerned with the task at hand and obedience than he was relationship. See, when we focus more on obedience than we do we re- than relationship, we will end up being more concerned about truth and justice than we are about compassion and love. And when this happens, we begin to focus on our own righteousness as a means to justify our very righteous behavior towards others. A lot of times we develop a demeaning attitude towards others. People that don't think like we do, we we love to criticize them. Love to put him down. I can't believe she did that. Can't believe he did that. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Did you see what they put on face puke? Oh my gosh. It's a sure sign that we are drifting from the center of the Father's love. And when we start, as I've said before, when we start drifting off center of the Father's love, we will hurt someone. We will hurt someone. And there's some other warning signs that go off around us, but we like to ignore them. It's kind of like the the flashing engine sign in the car. How long's this been going on? Oh, I don't know. I thought it was just another light to help me see at night. <laughs> no. <laughs> there's a problem. Right? Well, there's warning signs going off in our, our lives that are like that. They're just little flashing lights that are saying there's a little problem. It's becoming a big one if you don't deal with it. And if you want to know what those warning signs are, Just look at your relationships. Look at your relationships with your children. Are they smiling most of the day? Do they enjoy your presence? Do they run to you instead of away from you? These are warning signs. Do you find it hard to find a friend who wants to hang out? (laughs) (laughs) He's probably laughing at me because no one wants to hang out with Tom Preble. That's the problem. He's like, yeah, you smellers the feller right there. <laughs> Thank you, Michael Brown. I uh, know. But these are warning signs. 
What does your spouse think about you? How much time do they enjoy you? Do they avoid you? Do you spend as little time as possible communicating? Is everything you'd say on a text? Any face-to-face stuff where you're talking about heart stuff? These are warning signs that we are not walking in the fullness of the Father's love. Our relationships are the warning signs that reveal our uncrucified areas of our lives the most. They are the the early warning signs from the Lord. You don't need a prophetic word for this one. God helps us see when we are drifting off center by the people that he's put us around. See, the older brother thought he was doing everything right. He thought he was doing all the right things, but it left him slaving in the fields, acting more like a slave than he did a son. See, there is a big difference between servants and sons. Servants can only bring others to a master. But a son brings others to a loving father. See, the older brother acted far more like a servant than a son. And when you and I are doing everything right... In a self-righteous way, people don't want to hang around you. Because the only God that you have to bring them is a taskmaster. And the world is fed up with masters. The world is sick and tired of masters, and the world is sick and tired of being slaves. So as long as we live like that, they don't want what we have. And who could blame them? I mean, think about this for a moment. Any value or theology that we have that is not rooted and grounded in love will gradually gravitate towards the law and the legalism. And when this happens, we think we're in the Father's house. Look at how hard I'm working, Jesus. I'm praying every Sunday. I'm prophesying. I'm playing my guitar. I'm meeting with people. I'm discipling. I'm devoting hours and hours of my life. To your cause, Dad. Toiling away like a slave, but we we do it because we we just value the Father for what He can do for us. Little tokens of do you like me now? Do you accept me now? How about now? Do you love me today? Do you love me today? Because I I, I prayed. I read my my Bible. Isn't that the stuff that your people do that make them special to you? 
We're slaving away for just little tokens of God's love and acceptance. But here's the thing, there's no rest that is found in living like a slave. Now listen, I, don't mishear what I'm saying. I, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with Christian disciplines of prayer and Bible study, fasting, service. Those are beautiful and amazing things that we should do. They are a part of the Christian life, the expression of the Christian life. And they help us grow. They help us mature. But when we filter them through an unhealed need to earn love and acceptance, we start acting more like servants than sons and daughters. And then we start easily misrepresenting the Father's love to other people. Well, here's how you get love in this family. You read your Bible every day. And when people ask you where you weren't at church, you tell them they were, you were sick. Because no one will argue with you on being sick. Whether it's a little bit of a tummy tum or a headache, they just say you're sick and they'll leave you alone. <laughs> and when this happens, we start ending up valuing people's performance and obedience. We value their performance and obedience more than love, more than the relationship I have with them, more than the intimacy I should be developing with them. And it becomes sin. It becomes a sin against love. And until we allow the Father to be at the door of our house to greet us instead of being orphans and sinners... then we're just going to be slaves at the door. Come on into the master's house. Bow your head. Don't look at him in the eyes. He may be angry today. Be okay. Just chill. We act like orphans and slaves instead of sons and daughters of a dad who's like, hey, you're here. Come on in. Dad's in the living room. We're going to play a game. Come on. Let's go. We've been waiting for you. He's been waiting for you. So we've all heard the Jeff Foxworthy, if you might be a redneck, right? Well, you may be an older brother. If you find yourself caught up in aggressive striving, See, aggressive striving is essentially hyper-religious activity and duty and discipline that's not tempered with large, and everyone say large. large. Everyone say large. large. Without large amounts of compassion and empathy and forgiveness. See, it's an attempt to earn the love of God through religious works through religious activity. Um, author Jack Winter says in his book, The Homecoming, that love is a gift and not a reward for service. Now, we hear that all the time, but 
Why aren't we living that way? You know, the harder the older brother tried, the more distant he actually became from the father's house. The harder he worked, the harder he tried, he actually became more and more distant. And as soon as we begin to uh, perform to get something in return, the move, uh, we begin, we start drifting and start sinning against love. As soon as we begin to try to impress people. Hey, Eric, I just wanted to give you an update on what happened this week. Hey, I did this, I did that. Just, just, Just so you know, just good information. Oh, okay. Thanks. Now, granted, if there's an assignment like, hey, I need you to do this, fine. Call me up and go, hey, I did what you asked. Awesome. But when we start impressing people, it's an indication that we're moving again. We're in aggressive striving. We're really working hard at something. We want everybody to see it. I need important people to see it. I need God to see it. I mean, sometimes we just need to fast from religious works. When we get so focused on the mission, we end up completely misrepresenting the kingdom. We misrepresent it to the, to the entire body of Christ. We end up misrepresenting it to our families, our children, our spouse. And it definitely gets misrepresented in the world. Number two, you find yourself with the symptoms of competition and rivalry. See, once we begin to strive for love and acceptance, we begin to take on this us versus them mentality. Or me against her. Or that group of people versus that group of people. See, once we begin to strive for love and acceptance, we begin to take that mentality on. And we tend to only want to honor those who are like us. I'm not going to talk about what that guy did or she did, or I don't really want her to share because she just didn't do it the way I would have done it. And again, we are now sinning against love. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, say by this, by this, this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's a big if. If. You have love for one another. See, we, we tend to believe that if we are seen and accepted by others, then maybe God's going to love us more too. But com- competition and rivalry, they put us in a place of envy. Spiritual ambition is this earnest desire for some kind of spiritual achievement and, and this willingness that I have to strive for it. 
as well as, and we all love this, the, the desire to be seen. We all desire to be counted among the mature. I can't tell you how many times I've been in leadership gatherings. No one's asking me about my church or my ministry or anything because I'm not one of the super leaders in whatever leadership circle I'm in. No one's talking about it. There's no, there's no reputation that precedes me as I go into the region. But I still wanted to be one of the cool pastors, the cool, the leaders, the influential mover and shakers in our region. Because I was living off the praises of men. I really like it. It really does something good in my flesh. I really enjoy hearing people tell me how awesome I am. And when we live like that, we are drifting off center of God's love. Isaiah 51, 12 says, I, I am he who comforts you. Not my leadership gathering, not my little this and my big that, and the Lord, I am he who comforts you. You who are, uh, you, let's get this right. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? the son of man who is made like grass and have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy. And where is the wrath of the oppressor? See, once we're off center of the father's love, we, it's hard to discern that we've drifted off. And then what happens is we get this angry edge to us. This angry edge to everything we do. This angry edge that's in our relationships. And then because, you know, people are feeling that and they don't like it, then, we, then our relationships, they become manipulative. We start devaluing. And, and we again, this thing of envy and jealousy just takes more and more and more peace of our heart. James 3.16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. See, we either become slaves to the sin and law, or we become slaves to love. Who thinks love's better? Love changes the world. Number three, you find yourself working hard to earn love. When we do this, we end up with frustration that leads us feeling like we never really measure up. And when we live constantly feeling like I'm never good enough for them, I'm never good enough for pastor, I'm never good enough at work, I'm never good enough at my friends or my parents or whatever, then guess what comes to our heart? Resentment. Resentment starts to get in there. And so that feeling like I'm a servant, I'm a slave. It just increases the resentments towards others. You know, all the people who are more blessed than me. You know, they got the promotion. They got the stuff. They got the favor. They get to talk to these people and hang out there. 
And when that happens, we can't even rejoice when someone else is promoted. We can't even say, man, that's awesome for you. I'm so happy for you. When someone receives favor or blessings. Man, I'll remember years and years ago when we had um, Rob White was here and he was working for all these doctors and man, he just seemed to land just these great jobs and I just thought that dude does not deserve that stuff. (laughs) He is just way too, I don't know, I don't even remember what it was, but it was something. And I'll never forget the day one of his doctors handed him a Cadillac, an Escalade, just part of his perk package. Now, I loved riding around in that thing, but I thought, why the crap do I not have mine? I know it's the problem. This stinking church doesn't tithe enough to afford one for my salary. I'm mad now. Tithe. Not even kidding. I'm not. I'm sure we had some discussions in staff meeting, and I brought up, man, giving stinks in this house. We need to preach. We need to preach on giving and generosity. We need to talk about blessing, favor. And so I couldn't rejoice. I couldn't rejoice. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. But if one member is honored, all rejoice together. All rejoice. Number four, you find that you have a critical and judgmental attitude and you tend to see the worst in people. Hmm. Everybody just moan. These are the, gro- the, the groanings that are unutterable from the Holy Spirit because he's like, that's you. You better say something. Ugh. And again, this happens, this is the result of resentment. When resentment has not been dealt with and it's in our heart for a long time, then we don't start treat, we don't treat people with compassion We certainly don't act like the prodigal father who's extravagant in his love. And we lose our empathy. We lose our ability to forgive quickly and easily because we only see the faults of everyone. Disgust me how many conversations I'm in and people talk about people who are less than us. People that are hard to love, no doubt. See, it it doesn't take any maturity to see the weaknesses and the faults of others. None. Zero. But it takes love to cover those faults. It takes love. It takes a spirit of goodness. Kindness. To say, it's all right. That's not who you are. And I'm not going to relate to you as though that's who you are. 
There's a book by Ed Peoric. It's called The Father Loves You. And in that he says, Childhood resentment coupled with the religious striving produces an edge to our ministry and our service. You remember, whatever we feel like we have to do to be loved, whatever we feel like we have to do to be accepted by God is exactly what we will expect from others to get our love. In order for them to be accepted by us. See, there's no love in the law. There's no love in legalism. And and here's the problem that we have with older brothers is that a lot of them are right. They're correct because they're working really hard to do the right thing. They're usually the most loyal, the most hardworking. They're the best performers in church. But often they would rather prove their rightness than promote an intimate relationship. They value obedience over relationships. And, and, then, and then we use that self-righteousness to justify our negative attitudes. We use it to justify our resentment. And at that point, other people begin to start feeling devalued. And again, we see this show up first in our family. Shows up with our kids and our spouses. Then it works itself into our workplace. And eventually, then the church develops a whole older brother syndrome, a whole older brother attitude. And when that happens, it keeps rebellious sons and daughters from actually being able to come back to the father's house. Do you hear what I'm saying? So how do we get home? How do we experience a homecoming? So in the story of the prodigal son, we find that the father was there. He was trying to draw the older brother to him with love. And we never, ever see the father condemning the son, the older brother. He never condemns him and he never gives up on him. And I don't say this to discourage us or whatever, bad confession, whatever you want to label it, but it's not an easy thing for older brothers to experience a homecoming sometimes. Because homecomings are usually an emotional experience. And when the one emotion you experience is only anger, Ooh, baby. Religion devalues emotion. Religion devalues things like compassion and love and intimacy and loves to focus on stuff like what's true and what's right. What's the law say about this? And so it's very difficult for older brothers to even acknowledge their need for a homecoming. Here's, here's a step in that direction. The transition from living by the love of the law to transitioning to embracing the law of love. 
It requires a repositioning of our hearts and our attitudes. And in spite of how we may drift, the Father is always, He remains always in a loving posture towards us. He's not ashamed to be our God. John 5.22 says that the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. John 12, 47, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Henry Nouwen, who's a pretty robust author, he says that the lostness of the older resentful son is much harder to pinpoint than the lostness of the younger prodigal son. This is because self-righteousness is harder to recognize than drunkenness and sinful living. That is so good. So here's some simple keys to coming home to the Father's embrace. We must first have movement towards the Father's house and His love. See, unfortunately, we never see in this story the older brother return home. Even though the door was always open to him. You know, it's much easier to fill the stomach of a prodigal than the heart of an older brother. An older brother who is, by the way, good for all the wrong reasons. And so if we continue to fight against coming home, we find ourselves moving from instead of coming home, we just move from one crisis to the next crisis to the next crisis. Instead of walking back to the Father. See, crisis is, is unfortunately, it's actually a very effective at depleting us of our identity. It will deplete us of our identity of being a good son. It, it depletes us of um, self-sufficiency. Sometimes it even helps us to get in touch with our inadequacies and our insecurities. But as long as we are still strong, as long as we're still self-confident in our gifts and in our talents and what I can get accomplished on my own, we find a lot of difficulty in experiencing a homecoming. But see, when we're weak and we are in need, the Father leaves His house and He finds us as we're walking home. Number two, we need to have movement towards repentance. Love and resentment cannot coexist. They can't. And it is the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. So confession of our sins is the beginning. But see, confession is not the same as repentance. See, repentance is what we do with our loved ones after we've confessed our sins to the Father and to others. 
True repentance is a change of heart that is so deep that it changes our behavior. It changes our behavior so that we begin meeting the needs of others at our own expense. While seeking nothing in return. So the question is, is how free do you want to be? Number three. There needs to be movement towards receiving forgiveness from those we have misrepresented the Father's love. All it takes is a little humility to repent to those you have misrepresented His love to. And when that happens, He will exalt us back into His his presence. It is our responsibility to humble ourselves. The lower we go, the lower we go in in humility, the lower we go, and the lower we go into humility, the deeper we go into the Father's love. And I want to move in that direction. So I personally... I want to repent for my older brother syndrome. Many of you have experienced my self-righteousness, my criticalness, my love of the law instead of relationships. And I'm sorry. Worship team, you've probably experienced the worst of that. You've experienced it more than any. So I'm asking, will you forgive me? I'm asking everyone to forgive me for not loving well. Not as well as I could. Forgive me for fathering a vision, but not fathering a family. Forgive me for misrepresenting the Father's love. Forgive me for not making the love of the Father my most important pursuit in my ministry. Forgive me for not making it the most important thing, getting it and then giving it away. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Number four, we need to have movement into the phileo experience. Phileo is love. It's the type of love that's mentioned in the Bible, and it refers to a very natural, very brotherly, a very deeply affectionate love for one another. John 16, 27 says, The Father himself loves phileo. The Father himself phileos you. He loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I want to shift from measuring success by how, how deep the love and humility that we are experiencing with each other. 
when no one else sees us, when we get zero credit for loving well, Henry Drummond says that a test of a man is not how he has believed, but how he has loved. And then he goes on to say that the final test of religion is not righteousness, it's love. Not what we have done, or what we have believed, or what we have achieved, but how we have discharged the common everyday charities of life. And that the withholding of love is proof that we never knew him. First John 4.16 So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. So today I'm asking that we would anticipate the homecoming that the Father has planned for us. He understands our hidden core issues and our needs for affirmation and love. He gets it. He sees the secret place in our heart that cries out for the unconditional love of a father, for the affirmation and the affection that only Father God can provide us. His compassion and mercy, they are available to us today. And he longs to bring us back into his house for us to join in this celebration. Because he is not ashamed of us. He is not ashamed of me. He's not angry at us. He's not angry at me. He just wants us in his loving embrace. We're going to read a healing prayer here in a minute, but I want to talk about what we're going to do this, this week and for the next four weeks, actually. I felt like the Lord spoke to me about having us as a church, every single one of us, read the Gospel of John together. I feel like he wants us to go and read together as a church family the Gospel of John. And so what I have created is I have created a reading plan. It is a document and it has, um, it tells you every day what we're going to read as a family. It's also got, um, it's got study notes in it. There's questions in there. You're going to read um, through it, and um, basically all you, you, what you'll do is you'll just read until you come to the next day, which starts tomorrow, you know. Now, this is going to start today, but we're going to read, and you would just read, read, read until, okay, that's tomorrow's day. You're, st- you're done reading. We're going to memorize some Bible verses together. Every week, there will be a memory verse 
that we're all memorizing. All of us. All of us. We're family. We're doing this. You're getting in the car. We're going to Wally World. I don't know. We'll see. But listen, the reward is in heaven. You're acting like slaves. Give me something. I need a gimme, gimme. It's change me, change me. We're going to memorize one simple verse every week. And I, again, I feel like the Lord wants us to read John because John, unlike the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John does a beautiful job of describing the relationship of Jesus and the Father and how Jesus reveals the heart of the Father. And we need that. So we're going to read that. And so what I have is I've got a handout for you. It's at the back door when we leave today. One per family. Um, if you want more copies, you can email me. I can email you a PDF if you want of this. Um, if, you, if we run out of physical copies, I don't think we should. If we do one per family or a single person or a couple, you know, if you, we want everybody who wants one to have one, but um, you're going to get that as you leave today. So make sure you grab one. Don't forget. But we're going to read the Gospel of John for the next four weeks, the whole book, Okay. Every day, and it starts today, so you will have a reading today. So whenever you get together with your family and your kids, I encourage you to do this together as a family, if you have a family. Because there are questions, there are, there's, there's study notes that's going to talk about the Gospel of John and why it's important and what's needed, and don't, don't miss this point and don't miss that point. All of that's in there, and we're going to read that all together. Amen? Everybody on board with that? The Word of God? So the rest of the week, I want you to ask these questions that's up there. If you took a picture, that's great. That'll be the easiest way for you to remember. But these are going to be designed to help you get into your heart again and understand where is the older brother syndrome of touching your life. And so if you want an email of the PDF, that's my email. If you want me to email the PDF of the Bible study, I will do that. Just send an email to, to my email there and... I will get to you as soon as I can. Um, but I want us to pray this prayer together. If you would stand up with me, and we're going to pray. Go ahead and just throw some light music on, please. And I just want to pray this together. Sorry, Father should have been capitalized. <laughs> I know. I'm doing a good job myself. <laughs> You're loved, Tom. <laughs> You're so loved. Okay, let's pray this together. Are we ready? Let's go. Heavenly Father, I come before you with a repentant heart. I realize that I have been like an older brother in your house, often placing the love of the law above the law of love of my heart. I recognize that I have to deal with attitudes of resentment, competition, striving, and jealousy, and I see the damage this has caused in my relationship with you and my relationship with the people I love. 
I realize how much I require others to perform for my acceptance and love. I have sinned against love. Father, I choose to turn from these attitudes and return to your heart of love and compassion. But I am going to need your help. Hallelujah. Restore to me the joy of my salvation when I was motivated by my love for you and my gratitude for your sacrifice. I want to serve you with a pure heart, motivated by your compassion and love for others. Thank you for welcoming me back into your house and allowing me to join in the celebration. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we just release that word over us, God. We are coming home as a family, whether it's on sin or the law. We're coming home, Father, and we release your love today. God, we release it to break those walls down, God. Break down the hardness of heart, God. Break through our anger, our resentment, God, all the things that are keeping us out in the field like slaves, God, we pray that you break that down, God. Break it in our hearts. Break it in our lives, God. That we would come fully into the center of your love. And so we say, God, thank you for your Father. Thank you for the Father, the love of the Father. We welcome him again to come and wrap his arms around us. Smile on us, God. We are your happy thought. And I pray today, God, that when we go through this study of the book of John, that it would just come alive and it would bring so much light and healing to our hearts and to our families and into our relationships. Because we commit together to do it for you, God, because we love you, not because we're earning something, but because we love you. And so we just bless today, God. We release this day. We will continue in your presence. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.